Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second. Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. That's it. Every week you surprise me, Amari. I never know what you're going to go with. That's all I got. That's all I got. Your resume is too impressive, so why even compete, right? Like I, I have years, I have years in front of me before I, before I catch up to that title. So I'm just, I'm just conceding defeat. I'll let you have it. That's all I got for now. If I have anything to add, uh, I'll add it, but that's all I got tonight. It's been a long day. <laughs> I, it has it has been a long day. We're staying up super late, guys. Omari been working all night. We got the people editing, staying up late, so we can bring you fresh content here on a Tuesday morning. Before we get started, Omari, we did have a couple new reviews. Our guy, Matt Moderno, who does the Believe in Wizards podcast, left us a five-star rating and review. And then Adam in the 48202 says, love the content, guys. I listen to every episode. Great analysis and lots of helpful explanations. He did bring up the content. Guys, we're still working on it. We're recording on a new platform. We're trying to figure it out. We promise it's not going unnoticed. We're, we're, we're trying every week to figure the, the audio part out, but we appreciate the listens, the downloads, all the ratings and reviews. No doubt. Appreciate the love. I promise you have a microphone right in front of me uh, that I'm talking very deliberately into, <laughs> so I'm not sure. I have no clue what's causing audio issues, but we've been working on it with Kerry Jr., our, our audio producer, and we're going to get down to the bottom of it because I, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. I see a microphone and I think we're good. So it turns out there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that you actually have to tweak. So we're, we're figuring it out. We're going to get it down. Don't worry. Yes, we're staying on top of it. We, we want to bring you the best content, the best product we can. And speaking of, of product, Omari, the Detroit Pistons. They had two really, really well-played games. And we'll talk about the week as a whole, Amari. But on Sunday, they upset the Golden State Warriors. Monday night, right before we record this, they take the Milwaukee Bucks down to the wire. Let's start with that game, Omari. What were you most impressed by from tonight? I would say uh, for them to fall down uh, 15 points in the first quarter, rally back. Like, Milwaukee never quite took their foot off of the gas and it just seemed like there were so many times that they were going to run away with the game and then the Pistons somehow cut it to six or five or eight and then for them to trail by 16 uh, pretty late in the third quarter and then tie the game in the final minute. Uh, I just thought this was an extremely resilient game. Uh, this is a game I think a lot of people would have considered a scheduled loss that uh, you play the Warriors at home and then you have to fly out to Milwaukee and play Milwaukee in their home arena. Uh, I don't think that's a game to expect this team to compete in but they competed they almost won honestly if they had had Alec Burks or Marvin Bagley or just one more guy could put the ball in the hoop it might have been a different result and this is uh, to be the definition of a quality loss or the type of loss that I think everybody could be happy with uh, which you know I'm sure there's probably one straight fan out there who's like fired away Casey for losing this game but you know for the most part I think this is exactly the type of game you want to see from this team in, in, in year three of the restoring, as they call it. Yeah, unfortunately, I think as we're recording this, there's a Twitter space that uh, the the title is Casey should have called a timeout or something like. <laughs> like the Pistons got two really good looks from the best player. Kate Cunningham is him. Like we're all tweeting it, we're all talking about it. Kate is so good in the mid range. She gets a wide open mid range jumper. Omari, he gets a wide open three. He just didn't make them. Like they got good shots. They fought back. Even Casey has he's narrowed the rotation. They only played nine guys. Omari, I've 
I don't, I don't want to say covered because you cover the team. Like that's your real job. I've watched this team every single minute for two years and eight games. Now I don't remember very many games where he didn't play a 10 man rotation. And tonight he only went nine. Like he's doing a lot of the things the fan base wants to see. Yeah. And he's tweaked the uh, lineup. He's tweaked the rotation. He's trying different things. And I agree with him not calling a timeout. I think you don't necessarily want the Bucks' defense to be perfectly set. And like you said, Cade got two great looks. So he had an open elbow shot that he's been hitting all game, or really he hasn't missed many of them over the last week or so. And then you got an open three at the end. So I really didn't have an issue with him not calling a timeout at all. And it like again, like we say this a lot, but it's early in the year, and it's just a time where a lot of teams are – uh, just in workshop mode, right? They're trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. Sometimes teams hit the ground running. Sometimes they don't. We even saw with Boston last year, they kind of struggled for the first two months of the year and then they clicked and then they ended up going to the finals. So uh, I think when it comes to basketball, you really have to look at it in, in five to, to 10 game sample sizes. You can't really react off of a rough first three or four games. Six are struggling right now. And even they, I mean, I'm sure they're not going to finish up a losing record this year. They have way too much talent. Uh, yeah, a lot that I liked in this game. I like to see Hobby get going uh, for the second straight night. It seems like all the starters had a pretty good groove. There was a lot of good stuff. I thought there was a lot of stuff that they can build on and feel good about uh, when they review film. So let's talk about Hami for just a second, Omari, because we're going to talk about Cade. We're going to talk about Sadiq. We're going to talk about Killian, the rookies, all of that stuff. We're going to talk about those guys in this episode. But you mentioned Hami right I don't even know what to think about Hami right now. I have it in my notes from one of the Hawks games. I'm done with Hami minutes. And then tonight at a certain point, I'm like, man, Hami's playing pretty well. He earned some extra time. He took a couple questionable shots. Where are you at with Hamadou Diaz? At the very least, he's playing hard. You see some of the the upside with him. I just don't know whether I think he can be a long-term rotation guy or not. Yeah, to me, he's just a pure energy guy. I think positionally, he is a bit of an awkward player uh, to fit in because he is... Uh, he's not really a wing. He's more of like an undersized power forward, maybe yes. not defensively, but offensively. In the sense that in the last week, we've kind of seen him, you know, make some plays from the dunker spot. And he has pretty good feel for knowing when to kind of duck in and, 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 and find that space. And his teammates have been looking for him. He has some good energy plays tonight. Um, you know, I thought he really gave them energy, especially in the first half, to kind of keep them uh, within striking distance. So eventually set them up to make that one final push toward the end. He's an interesting player. Like, I think he's a player that maybe people who, like me and you, like we kind of like co- cover the, the team and watch closely and like fans probably have the biggest disagreement on because there was a lot of fans last year who were like, put the ball in Hami's hands. And we're like, no, like he's, the appeal of Hami is that he doesn't eat the ball at all. Like he don't want to put the ball in his hands. He's a rebounder. He could, you know, get tip-ins, dunks. Uh, you know, he could create plays without the ball. Like that's the the point of playing him. And I thought we saw that tonight. But the thing with Hami, and I think the thing that just really kind of hurts is that he doesn't shoot. And, you know, with this second unit where you really only have uh, two guys that could somewhat shoot and, you know, Corey Joseph, who didn't play tonight, and uh, Isaiah Livers, I think it forces Hami to play. Like, I, I just think Hami's weaknesses stick out a little bit more because you need him in lineups that have sufficient spacing because he's not going to give it to you. Well, the second unit, especially tonight, Omari, didn't have any guys that really score the ball, right? So you have Hami takes the most shots with nine. The second most is Killian Hayes with four. And we know that's not what he does best. Then you have Nerlens Noel and Isaiah Livers. I love Isaiah Livers, but he's not a guy that's going to eat up a lot of shots. You mentioned it earlier. Alec Burks probably helps you win this game. And it also helps that Coach 
Dwayne Casey staggered minutes. We saw Ivy with the second unit, Bay with the second unit. But you're right. Whenever you get some of those guys that score the ball when Marvin Bagley the third gets back, that's going to help the second unit get better. I do want to mention, I think a huge moment in this game, Omari, and I think it probably went unnoticed at the time. The Pistons were down 10, like two minutes to go in the fourth. Hami took an ill-advised three and almost airballed. Ivy took an ill-advised three and pretty much airballed. And then Killian took an ill-advised three. In the moment, it's like, oh, they're down 10. Is it that big of a deal? But when you see where the game ended up, those three possessions may have ended up playing a huge factor in this game. And that's the second unit just not having bucket getters. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And you see a lot of possessions for the second unit that just kind of fizzle out because they can't create anything. Uh, You know, the defense is giving everybody space. You know, they're packing the paint. And, you know, you just can't do anything, right? Like Isaiah Livers is either hitting shots or nothing really gets done. Uh, bench had 18 points tonight. Uh, they had 17 points against the Warriors. Uh, I think this bench, like, I would have to go back and check. I think they've probably cracked less than 25 points in almost every game this season except maybe one. And that's been a massive problem this season. So they definitely, definitely miss Marvin Bagley the third. I think once he comes back, we're going to see a dramatic difference in just what that second unit is, is able to do. I think it'll help Killian out, you know, just from a playmaking standpoint. Uh, if you put Burks and Marvin Bagley in that unit, I think that just about fixes most of the issues they've had so far. So I do want to ask this from you, Amari, before we move into that Warriors game, which was obviously the highlight of the week for the Pistons. The Pistons come out and they match up Isaiah Stewart on Giannis, which puts Sadiq Bay on Brooke Lopez. I'll be honest with you, that was what I wanted to see. I went into this game with the starting lineup, and I said, I think I would like to see Isaiah on Giannis, and then that would, obviously, you got to put Bay on Brooke Lopez in that situation. Were you surprised by that? Would you have liked to see something different? Obviously, Lopez went off tonight. Giannis, I don't know that you can stop him anyway, but I kind of like those matchups. Yeah, I mean, you're just kind of picking your poison, right? Especially with this team basically having no size at all. It was just Isaiah Stewart and Jonas Noel out there who made a season debut tonight. And Isaiah Stewart did have some foul trouble. Uh, he picked up four fouls before the fourth quarter. So, you know, it wasn't flawless for him defensively. But to me, that's just pick your poison. Uh, you know, if if Brick Lopez pops off for 24 points like he did tonight, you you just live with that. Uh, Giannis did have a pretty quiet second half. I'm sorry, pretty quiet first half until he... I think he scored 10 or 12 straight points at one point in the third quarter. And once Giannis gets going, like there's just not a single player in, in, in the NBA who's slowing him down. Uh, but I like the job Isaiah Stewart did overall. Like I think defensively, I just like that Isaiah Stewart is like he's he's big and burly. So you could put him in the paint and he can match up against guys. But he still has the footwork to uh, try to stick with guys in the perimeter. So, again, it's Giannis. You're not going to do a whole lot against him. Best you could do is just hope he misses some shots. But like I thought Isaiah Stewart held his own tonight. Real quick, because he didn't play in the Warriors game, Nerlens Noel, we got to see his first minutes tonight. Are we going to continue to see Noel minutes, or is it just going to be in situations where Jalen Duran is injured and, and they're Marvin Bagley's still out? Or do you think this was the start of him playing consistent rotation minutes for the Pistons? I really do think he's just an emergency option. I, okay. don't, I don't think they traded for him with the expectation that he would necessarily be a big rotation player and things can always change. But I think when you get Jalen Duran and you have Bagley and those are the guys who you're building around uh, per se, and especially you have a player in Duran who on paper can give you everything that Nerlens gives you, even though he's a rookie, so he's not always going to do that. But uh, they're in development mode. And, you know, Dwayne, like he's used the emergency glass phrase for playing Nerlens a few times. And I think that's the situation. You know, I think if, Guys are banged up. We'll see him. And, you know, he's a veteran. He knows what to do. But uh, I would think Marvin and and Jalen would probably be ahead of him for most of the season. 
All right, let's go to the Warriors game. Again, the highlight of the week, Amari. We got to talk about it. A 128-114 victory for the Pistons on Sunday night. The starters were just incredible. And again, we'll talk about the week as a whole from these guys. Sadiq with 28. Stu with 24 and 13. Maybe his best game as a pro, at least statistically. Cade with 23, 10 and 9. Almost a triple-double. Boyan is a professional bucket getter, man. This guy is going off right now. 21. And then Jaden Ivey with 15. The starting lineup was just incredible scoring the basketball in this game. Yeah, I mean, offensively, by a pretty significant margin, uh, that's the best the Pistons have looked uh, this entire season. You had all five guys in a groove. Um, I thought Cade, you know, just had a, a, a really brilliant game, uh, picking his spots, but also kind of letting the offense flow through and around him, uh, not necessarily shooting other guys out of rhythm, which Cade never does. Even when he picks his spots, he's still, um, you know, he's always going to sneak up on you with a nice pass here and there. Like, that's one thing I like about Cade is that uh, for him, when he's really in the groove, there's no, okay, now I'm going to shoot. Okay, now I'm going to pass. Okay, now I'm going to shoot. It's just whatever the play dictates he's going to go do. But that was just a, a great game from, from top to bottom. I mean, Boyan's been incredible for this group, obviously, through the first two weeks. Uh, he's just a bucket. <laughs> like, there's no other way to put it. I looked it up uh, earlier today because I did a story just breaking down his extension. And uh, he's like the only player averaging more than 30 minutes. That Also, his true shooting was like 72 percent or something like it was like the highest only guy who was like within that same range was like my kill silly Bridges. man and it's just like you know it's just in, like insane he's been insanely good uh but also uh Sadiq you know he had 28 points against the Warriors like that was his best game of the year and I think him and Boyan there's a little bit of push and pull sometimes just because they do a lot of similar things and they kind of run some of the same sets but uh, I thought Sadiq had a really nice night, and he's had a, a sneaky good season so far, too, when you look at his efficiency. He's definitely been a lot more efficient than last year, even though he's taking fewer shots on average. Yeah, I think for Sadiq, it's just staying with the process, Omari. Catch and shoot, he has turned down some shots. I, I wrote an article about it where, I, stop turning down shots, Sadiq. Catch and shoot that thing if you can get it off. I don't like the sidestep three. I don't want to see him shoot it anymore. But if he if there's a hard closeout, he can shot fake and drive. He's good at that and go in there, get to the free throw line, make some buckets in the lane, or if somebody steps over, then he's a good enough passer to make that read. I think where fans start to get frustrated, and I think they have to understand this, Amari, and maybe you disagree, but Sadiq's scoring output is going to be a little bit dependent on the defense and what the other members of the team are doing. He's not just going to go get his own bucket. If Cade's getting off, if Boyan's getting off, if Jaden's getting off, Sadiq may not get a lot of attempts. And if you look at his scoring output, it's been a little bit up and down, but it kind of coincides with his field goal attempts. And I think that's going to fluctuate all year. And I think we're seeing sort of the natural pecking order uh, yeah. emerge where, you know, Cade and Boyan are your one and your two. And then, you know, it's essentially Sadiq and Jaden trading off being that three or four, just depending on, really depending on how Jaden's playing, uh, you know, because he has nights like tonight against the Bucks where he just kind of knifed through the defense with no issues. And then you're going to have nights where you're not quite doing that as well. But also Sadiq, I think this is overall good for him uh, to not have to be in the position he was in last year where you basically have to be the number two to have a chance to win. Uh, he was good at it some nights. He had some good stretches, but, you know, he was also, I think, outside of his comfort zone a lot. And this season, I don't think it's a step back for him. If things are just kept a little bit simpler, like you said, he's been turning down shots. Don't do that. Just take those catch and shoot threes. That is, that should always be his bread and butter, even if he does end up becoming more of a Chris Middleton type. Like, that's just, you know, I think any good shooter wants those shots, so he shouldn't turn those down. They're going to probably ask a little bit less of Sadiq this season, and I think that's probably good for him in the long run to not have that pressure to 
create that he felt last season. Well, and one of the things from this game overall, and you mentioned it with the Bucks game, Omari, is the Pistons got down, I think, 12, 14, something like this early in the first, not early in the first, early in the game, at some point in the first quarter. I think it was in the third quarter, Jordan Poole goes on a 12-0 run all by himself. I mean, I, I, sometimes I do want to talk about these other guys that the Pistons play against because they are impressive. Jordan Poole went crazy in that game and was really impressive. But the Pistons, this young Pistons team, weathered the storm. They kept their composure. They answered and it looked like one of those classic warrior runs and the Pistons just didn't let it happen they came right back at them and I think that may be the most impressive thing from these two games on Sunday and Monday is Detroit's ability to answer those runs from the defending champs and then the Milwaukee Bucks who were champs just a couple years ago no doubt they're playing with a confidence right now and I think you know despite the rough start you know this is the team that's starting to understand that it could actually compete uh, you know, you have it helps a lot, I think, to have a guy in Boyan who's going to be consistent every single game. Uh, that's taking a lot of pressure off of these young guys. And a lot of stuff just crystallized against Golden State. I mean, I think they were up 19 at one point and they did a good job catching a Golden State team that I believe lost to Charlotte uh, Saturday night. You know, so they probably had some tired legs and whatnot. Even so, <laughs> Jordan Poole and Steph Curry both scored 30. So I think anytime that happens, you're probably going to favor uh, go to state to win. And it just seemed like for the vast majority of that game, they were never really in it. Yeah, we're seeing a, a lot of growth from the Pistons right now. These are two really good teams. It's early in the year and we see them pick up a win against the Warriors and then the second night of a back. I was nervous for this game, Omari. I'm not even going to lie to you. I was nervous. The second night of a back-to-back in Milwaukee, a team that the Pistons have, you know, recently haven't been very good against. And we got the, we got the Bucks' best Effort tonight. Giannis had to be great. Drew Holiday. I, I'm an idiot. I was such a casual whenever that trade went down because I was like, Drew Holiday, Eric Bledsoe, that's essentially a one for one. Like, people are going to roast me for this, but I'll admit my failures. I mean, I was such a casual NBA fan back then to not realize how much of an upgrade that was. Drew Holiday was awesome tonight offensively. And if you want to know how the Pistons can be successful and drop coverage, you have to do what Drew Holiday does defensively on the ball. That guy is a two-way player, and he is really, really good. Yeah, Drew Holiday is a beast. Uh, I mean, of course, he had that back-breaking three uh, toward the end that kind of clinched the game for them. But he just made plays all night that were just great plays. Like, he's one of those basketball players where he never really does anything that really pops off of the screen. But then you look down, and it's like, oh, he has 22 points. And you watch this defense all night, and, you know, he's probably the best there probably aren't two guys in the NBA better at, at perimeter defense than he is. And I think just year in and year out, he's consistently one of the best, you know, which makes a, a, a massive, massive difference. You know, I actually think Kate, you know, if everything shakes out right for him, he could be sort of a Drew Holiday type player, especially if he really figures things out on the defensive end. And, you know, of course, for him to do that, you probably need to pair him with a Yadis because not too many superstars are exerting the defensive energy that Drew Holiday is every night. But He's good, man. He's good. I think nights like tonight just shows just how big of a trade that was for him. And we're going to talk more about Cade here shortly, but you brought up the defense. I actually think Cade's defense has been a little bit better here the last couple of days. I've been very critical of Cade's defense going back to his rookie season. I thought people maybe were giving him too much credit for being a good rookie defender. I didn't think he was. Early in the season, the first handful of games, I didn't. But the last couple of games, he's done some really good things on the defensive end, especially on the ball especially when he's not fouling. Like, that's that's been an issue still for the Pistons. And we're going to talk about them drawing fouls, 
But this young team has to figure out a way to stay out of foul trouble, especially right now where the depth is limited. Yeah, they do. And that's probably been the biggest issue. Well, I won't say the biggest issue. The biggest issue I say has probably been their best scoring on offense. But uh, one of the issues that they've had. So I got to ask you one thing before we move on. I was listening to the Bucks pregame music and it was awful. Did you get a chance to hear? Like, I know coming from me, that doesn't mean much. Don't ask me what the songs were. I don't know. I just was like, man, this is really bad. I'm not trying to show throw shade at Milwaukee. I don't really care. But I was like, man, this is not very good. The, the Detroit pregame with Mason and everything was way better than what I heard from Milwaukee tonight. It just made me appreciate what we get at LCA. So I don't know why, but League Pass, I didn't make the trip to Milwaukee, just FYI, in case anybody was wondering. Uh, so I've watched the game on League Pass at home. And I don't know what it is about League Pass, but it's super finicky. So I had to like, I kept trying to get the game, the pregame to load, uh, you know, f- like 15 minutes before 8, 8 p.m. and it just wouldn't load so i'd close the app restart it get one there wouldn't load close the app again turn the tv off turn it back on <laughs> try it still didn't work turn the tv off i unplugged the tv wait 10 seconds plug it back in turn the tv back on finally league pass works and it's right on time for the pistons intro so that's a long-winded way of uh really it's just a uh sideways way for me to vent about league pass but i missed most of the pregame music but they i did hear the song that they played during the Pistons intros. Yeah. And I did not know what song it was. It kind of sounded like something like Celine Dion or something <laughs> from like 30 years ago. Uh, I don't know what it was, but I think it's kind of funny when teams play just like some weird like 90s ballad when the other team is being introduced just because like it cracks me up. I don't know why. It's just it just seems super random. But like I, but I always like when teams don't lean into like the seems the antagonist. Like let's bring them out to like some. 90s outro music at the end of like a romantic movie or whatever that song was. That's what it sounded like. I love it. Yeah, I've, I've heard other people issues with the league pass. I luckily have not knock on wood it's worked well for me because that's the only way i get to watch the game so hopefully they get that figured out i know a lot of people rely on that to watch not just the pistons but keep track with the nba in general so when we come back from the short break we're going to review the week in general the injury news individual players lineups the trends that we have going on and talk about our pistons week as a whole All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Mars, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want to you try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. All right, we're back, and we're going to lead off with uh, not really injury news, but just uh, injury recaps. Uh, the Pistons were fought Jalen Duran against the Bucks because he tweaked his ankle in the fourth quarter of uh, Sunday's game against the Warriors. They are still waiting on the return of Alec Burks, who is several weeks past his reevaluation date. He's supposed to be reevaluated a couple of days before the season started, and we are obviously well past that. So will we get an update soon? Will we not? I don't know. The team's been extremely vague about it. 
Uh, and Marvin then, Bagley. Think, was there good news about Marvin Bagley? There was good news about Marvin Bagley. Uh, Dwayne said earlier this week that he is trending toward his return. So I believe his reevaluation date is within the next week. So we could see him back uh, some at some point in November. And of course, that would be a pretty big uh, get for them. And then beyond that, just, you know, Darlis Noel made his debut uh, tonight, obviously. So so he's back. So it's just more so getting that big man ro- rotation straight at this point. I think if you get Darren and you get Bagley, you feel pretty good. Yeah, I think maybe one of you guys reported that Bagley was playing some one-on-one at practice or something, which is a really good sign, you know, to be playing one-on-one. Like, he's got to be really close if he's doing that. Jalen Duran did not make the trip to Milwaukee, at least tonight. Is that correct? I mean, I think we know – is that about the extent of what we know at time of recording? I don't know for a fact, but I know that after the game Sunday, uh, he was definitely not feeling too well about the, the ankle, which, you know, was real a, a, a sprain. So whether it's a a high sprain, a low sprain, grade two, grade one, whatever, uh, I think that remains to be seen. But certainly seems like he could miss a few games here. I have other mindset. If they want to hold him out Wednesday, leave him in Detroit, I'm cool with that. Wait until Friday when they play Cleveland. You're going to need some big size against the Cavaliers. I know I know the Bucks play big as well, Omari. I get it. But Cleveland's going to bring in a big lineup as well. Let's talk about the other big, the one that is playing, Isaiah Stewart. And let's just start there for a little bit. You know, the three-point shot, you know, it's a little inconsistent right now. He's not shooting it great. But let's talk about him as a role man and not having a lob threat on this team. I think this is an issue right now. I know he's had a couple good games. I actually did a breakdown of him not setting screens very well. What do you think – where do you want to see Isaiah Stewart kind of keep his focus and his attention? Is it just on the threes? Do you want to see him a little bit better as a role man? Where does Isaiah Stewart need to go offense? Or are you just completely fine with what we've seen from the big man? For the most part, I'm fine. You know, I think that just uh, with the Pistons doing offense, it asks him to do things that long-term he probably just won't be a stress. You know, like I just don't – I don't know what you can do to make him a better road threat when he's a little undersized. He's not the best leaper. Like, he's got solid touch around the rim, like, especially when they post him up, but they're not going to post him up a lot. Um, So I just think as far as his interior game, I just have a series of options that are probably less than ideal uh, just for his build and how he plays. Uh, You know, I think he's been uh, taking around four threes a game, uh, which is a a very healthy number and is helped by the fact that teams are not defending him out there. You know, and he's going to stick with that. Like, I know they self-confidence and I'm shooting pretty well. And uh, I think he was two for five against the Warriors and he was two for five um, in their previous game against the the Hawks. So, you know, you shoot two for five, you know, once like twice every three games or whatever. I think everybody's happy about that. Uh, but to me, that's probably what's going to give him, you know, a bit more utility on offense and just being able to knock those threes down consistently. You you know, you can still have him screen, you know, roll, all that stuff. But long term, that's probably something you want during uh, to specialize in a bit more and for them to play together. You want Isaiah Stewart shooting. So to me, the focus is, is he taking threes? Is he making threes? That's the main key for me this season for him. Yeah, we've talked about this. Stay with the process. Continue to shoot three, four, five threes a game and just stay with that because that's the the long-term upside. I do say I want to see the screens get better. Again, I kind of highlighted where I think just some of the on-ball screens, helping Cade get open. And I do think he's been better the last couple games. And if they're going to play off of him, again, we've talked about this, but he's got to go do the Draymond screens. Like if he catches, they're going to play five feet off of him. If he's not comfortable shooting the three in the moment, then go into a DHO and make 
contact and then attack the defense that way. So I do, I would like to see Stu's feel for setting some of these screens just get a little bit better. There was a, a play in the Hawks game where I believe it was Sadiq, maybe the first play of the game, created a ton of separation from John Collins and then Stu missed the screen and, and Collins ended up getting there for the block shot. So I do think just the different ways he can add value as an offensive player. We see him doing like the little tip out offensive rebounds every night. Those are huge and and create extra possessions. But I do think there's some other little things he can do specifically the screening to help his value on the offensive end. I agree. And I think screening is a a field thing that he'll continue to learn with time. Uh, I know they talked a lot about the highway screens that season. And he can set them. I mean, he's a, a strong screener and a great screener when he wants to be. It's just to be that possession to possession consistency that really hasn't been there. So that's absolutely a growth area for him as well. And good screening can help him, whether he's rolling to the rim or, or popping. Either way, you need to be able to uh, help your teammates out a little bit more. I think it's easy to say, oh, just set a good screen. But the NBA game happens so fast. It's not that easy. Like there's some nuance to it. There's some feel. There's an art to being a really good screener or everybody would be really good at it. Let's move to Cade Cunningham, Omari, because You know, before we left last episode, I think we each said one thing we were looking forward to the next week. And I believe you said you wanted to see Cade pop off a little bit. And man, has that happened? His efficiency wasn't great going into this week. Struggled a little bit to start the week. And then the last, I don't know, four games or something like that, he's just gone crazy. Now we'll talk about his efficiency in general. Still not getting to the free throw line. The three-point shot has gotten better. But this is the Cade Cunningham I think everybody wanted to see from the beginning of the year. And, man, he looks like the face of the franchise right now. Yeah, I mean, he's just been an absolute sniper from mid-range, really getting into the lane, really picking his spots, uh, slithering his way to the rim. Passing has still been good, although he's had some turnover issues, which, you know, he had those last year too, I think, you know, for guys with the ball that much. It's normal to turn the ball over a lot early. Uh, You know, I think if you look at the all-time list for turnovers, these guys like Westbrook and James Harden, uh, you know, like long term, I think he'll kind of iron some of those out. But he's just been good. You know, I think it's been a bit of a surprise to see him almost abandon the, the, the three-point shot entirely for a few games, and he got back to it against the Bucks. Uh, I know he's, he hit his first three three-pointers. I don't think he – I think he kind of fell off towards the end of the game. Yeah, he three, of three of nine, yeah, yeah. Three of nine, but just for him to find, you know, even without the three-point shot, you know, I think for him to get into the lane and continually hit those elbow jumpers, those sidestep crossover, you know, whatever it may be, he probably won't continue to hit them at the tour pace he's been hitting them at, but I think that could absolutely be a bread and butter part of his game and something that he can continually go to. Uh, So that's been good to see. Um, I know he was averaging 28 a game this last three before um, the Bucks game, and then he finished that game with, I believe, 27. So, uh, yeah, he's really, I think, finding his groove as the primary option. Uh, One thing I want to see is just it seems like when he comes out of out of, out of half time, he tends to kind of cool off a little bit. It seems like in all these games, he's scored like two thirds of his points in like the first half, and then after he's just kind of falls off. So I don't know if that is you know just him not adjusting to adjustments or you know maybe just wearing down a little bit. But overall, he's been good. Like, there really hasn't been a lot of negatives. You know, I think him and Boyan are forming a really good one-two punch on offense. Okay, I want to come back to the second half thing, Amari. But you made up a good – you brought up – not made up. It's true. It's a fact. You brought up a good point about the three-point shooting. So the first three games, six, six, and eight attempts from three. And that's when the efficiency wasn't great. He was still scoring okay, but the efficiency wasn't great. The next five – 
two, three, three, and three. So he did cut down on those three pointers and really went to the mid range, really went to the rim. And then as you mentioned tonight, he makes his first three. So he keeps shooting them, ended up three and nine. I think the biggest thing I would like to see along with the second half is I want to see him get to the free throw line, Omari, like whatever it is that he has to do to get there more often. That's where the efficiency is really going to come into play. He may never be a 40% three point shooter, but he could, you know, he's going to be 35%. The mid range, you know, maybe not the pace he's on right now, but it's going to be there. But he's never going to score the numbers on the shot attempts that maybe we want if he's not getting to the free throw line six, seven, eight times a night. And yeah, maybe there's some cause that he still isn't quite getting, but I also think just his natural play style is not one where he's throwing his body, you know, into defenders and like drawing that contact. Like that's just not how he attacks a game. He's very methodical and he's not going to attack unless he thinks he has a chance to like make the layup which is good, obviously. You want him to take shots he thinks he can hit, but also, you know, there are opportunities where you just play for contact. You know, and I think we see a lot of the great guards at the NBA, James Harden, whoever it may be. Um, well, I'm not saying kid has to do it to the extent that James Harden does it, but, <laughs> you know, but they play for contact. You know, they like they understand that there is, the possession is a win whether you, you know, get the layup or you just draw the contact. Like if you draw contact, that's a win. And I don't think Kate thinks about the game in that way. Like he understands the value of a free throw, obviously, but he's not, playing in a way that's going to get him to the line, you know, between six and 10 times a night. And to me, that is just probably a longer term adjustment for him. I don't think that's just a a switch you kind of flip on. Uh, You know, I think just that's how he's comfortable playing. And yeah, you know, it may just be something that he just has to kind of be coached on and, you know, maybe work on next off season, just get in there, take contact, you know, maybe just do drills where you're only taking contact. Like if you have to, you know, (laughs) pump fake five times until you try to defend her, like, you know, do that in scrimmages or whatever, but that's just to be a game adjustment that he has to make. It's a mentality, Omari, and I think a lot of times for fans, it's almost harder for them to be like, well, if it's a mentality, just change your mentality. It's not that easy. It's not easy to change the mentality of someone that's been playing a certain way. Like, what Cade's what, 21 right now? That's super young, but he's been playing since he was 10 years old. So he's been playing a certain way for almost 10 years. And it's not easy just to change that mentality overnight. So I think you're right. And I think that speaks to the second half thing. So last year, Cade averaged 16 field goal attempts a game. This season, I don't know that this includes tonight's game, but he's averaged roughly 20 field goal attempts a game. I wonder if the second half drop-off is like, He's just not used to taking this many shots. He's being so aggressive in the first half, and then he's coming out and asking to be aggressive again in the second half. And whenever your mentality is more like 16 shots, not 23 shots like he had tonight, or 23 and 25 like he did against the Hawks, like there's a mindset around that that is going to mess with your efficiency. So to me, it's not as much about anything else as like, I don't know that he's mentally preparing himself every night to take 25 shots. I would agree with that. I think the way, like, again, I think Kate just thinks like a point guard. And I think that his, uh, the baseline way he attacks games is not necessarily to go out and take a bunch of shots. If he yes. has those shots available and he gets into a rhythm early, especially that he's going to do that because it makes sense. But he's not, he doesn't necessarily have like that. I'm going to just go out and get a bunch of buckets mentality, you know, which I think in the long run is fine, you know, as he gets more talent around him and, you know, his teammates get better. But, you know, in the, the short term, they probably need him just being attack mode all the time, you know, to have a chance to win. And it could just be an adjustment in that way, right? Like, he's on the, the court. Like, Jaden Ivey's having a solid night. Boyan, he's more so coming out of halftime and that he, things kind of flow through him. And I think sometimes when he does that, 
um, some like you could tell sometimes when he shoots, his rhythm is off. Like he'll have a three where he kind of hurried the three more than he normally does, or maybe his mid range shot was just a little bit too off balance. And then he, you know, he, he kind of has to resettle himself a little bit. So I think that'll just come with more, you know, progressions. He's still adapting to the NBA. Uh, but I do think that there could be something there as far as that. Yeah, I mean, we saw it tonight. I think Drew Holiday like fell down late in the game and Cade was going to have a wide open shot and you could tell he kind of hesitated because I'm with you. I think his mentality is get my teammates shots and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think long-term it's going to be perfect and you know, thank goodness they have Boyan and we'll talk about his contract extension here to start the next segment. But I have kind of an interesting idea and I don't know that everybody's going to agree with this, but I think they should put the ball in Jaden Ivey's hands to start second halves. I don't disagree with that. I think... Just from a, like maybe a coaching standpoint of if Kay's natural disposition after halftime, especially if you shot out in the first half, is to kind of take a step back a little bit and yeah. let his teammates get going. Don't let Jaden Ivey get going. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about staggering those two, and they're still working out their fit. I thought tonight, like, they played well together for sure. But yeah, like, just tell Jaden, hey, man, just go ahead, you know, go in there. Jaden is going to draw contact because, you know, his entire game is getting downhill. Uh, you know, so that could give. Cade, maybe the mental break he needs, and now Cade can kind of be more of the point guard type, setting his teammates up, and Jaden Ivey's attacking. And that could be a see, that's Coach Bryce talking. That's the that's the coaching mind of you figuring out how to maximize two of your two of your talents. Uh, yeah, like I think that would be a pretty natural, maybe not solution, you know, just depending on how the game is flowing, but on nights like tonight where Cade comes out cold, yeah, you could just tell Cade to play off ball a little bit more, or uh, you know, just be more of a secondary and then Jaden can go out and attack and that could probably remedy some of that and it doesn't have to be every night you know if Cade only takes five shots in the first half then by all means let Cade go crazy in the, to start the second half but if Cade's taken 13 shots in the first half and you know like in his mind like 20 shots is kind of where he's most comfortable then either put the ball in Jaden's hands or run actions to get Jaden, you know, run him off some staggers, just know the actions going there. I don't know. It just kind of hit me like one that would get Jaden going and let him get off a little bit more, but it would, like you said, give Cade a mental break. And I just wonder if there's like a 20 shot a game thing where with Cade, where he almost feels like he's shooting too much when he starts to get around that point. So I don't know if it's something we'll see or not. I was just kind of thinking about it tonight as like, maybe this could, you know, you know, solve two things where it lets Ivy get a little more usage as well before we move on and take our next break I want to talk about the defense Amari it hasn't been good you know here against Milwaukee tonight they give up 110 so this was probably one of their better defensive performances but the defense has really struggled I think there's a few different things they've been really really bad in transition again I did a breakdown on that kind of looking into some of the reasons why have you got any you know perspective or maybe anything coming from the organization from talking with Dwayne Casey maybe Jerome Allen on where this team needs to get better on the defensive end in their minds yeah, I think two areas, like you mentioned transition. Uh, like, I know that's been a pain point for Dwayne. Uh, but then also just, I think their interior defense um, has been pretty bad as well. Uh, like, I know last year, or last year, I know last week, the Hawks and uh, the Wizards uh, had a pretty easy time just getting into the lane and just dicing the, the pisses up in the interior, uh, which I think I think the primary problem is just, you know, like if we talked about this before the season, but how many, like, plus defenders does this team have? Isaiah Stewart and Killian Hayes. And Killian's been averaging like 17 minutes a game around that. Uh, so you just don't have a lot of players on the team who are plus defenders right now. Um, you know, like Sadiq's not a plus on that end. Kate hasn't been a plus on that end. Uh, you know, Duran, I think he has potential to be, but, you know, he still gives up buckets. Like he hasn't been 
like prime Dwight Howard, you know, even if he kind of looks like him physically, uh, you know, so I think there's just, there's like a, a lot of things really that they could be doing better. Like I think the guards have been really bad at keeping opposing guards outside of the lane. Like, you know, guards have pretty much been able to penetrate with ease. A lot of issues, honestly, I mean, this team is just not good defensively, uh, which young teams typically are not, but uh, you know, I, I do think they have a lot of room to grow as well. And I do think they will get better as the year goes on, just as guys kind of figure out what they need to be doing within that scheme. And I know we've talked about this a little, Mari, but I want to reiterate, they're, they're not switching as much as what we saw last year. The stats back this up. They're trying to play drop covers. They're trying to ice ball screens. Even sometimes when they switch, and, and I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence when I say this, I think sometimes the fans are seeing them switch. Well, they're actually in drop coverage. It's just the guard didn't get around the ball screen. So then they're forced to switch after the fact. But I think it's really putting a lot of pressure on their communication because they're switching one through four, but not with the five. And then I was listening to Richard Jefferson the other day on the the low post. And he was talking about, I think the phrase they said, if there's um, no screen, no scheme. So essentially, you're going to switch the ball screen or drop coverage the ball screen, but then if the guy slips it, then it completely changes how you defend it. So there's just a lot of things to work out, and there's a lot of chemistry that goes along with that. And so like you said, I think 40 games from now, we could see this team be a lot better, and they're going to be better for it going through these struggles early in the season because they weren't going to be able to just switch every every screen for the next 10 years and be successful even as they got more talented. No, and I think you know, along with all of the switching, uh, you know, even if there's a lot of miscommunication and, you know, players just not executing the scheme properly. Personnel-wise, you know, they probably also, like, they're not the Toronto Raptors, right? Uh, yeah. They don't yeah. quite have the personnel, I think, to play that scheme to the extent that you would like to. Uh, which, you know, again, like, they've had Duran and, like, Draft are not switching everything like they were during preseason. I do think they have a chance to get better as the year goes on. Like, I buy, I buy Kane and Ivy's upside on that end of the floor. And I think Ivy's look like a rookie defensively, as you you know sort of expect from a player who's played eight NBA games. Well, I'm sorry, seven NBA games because he had the flu last week. Uh, I like their upside on that end. Uh, they've been they've been bad. Uh, I thought tonight against the Bucks was actually really their last two games have been two of their best efforts against yeah, the last been two. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> really good the, teams. You know, like the last two champs. So uh, you know, I guess we could maybe give that a little bit more of a sample size and, and see what happens. But I would say you know t- they've gotten off to a great start this week, so maybe they're trying to figure some things out. Yeah, let's let's end this on a positive note. The Pistons are drawing fouls at a really good rate and getting to the free throw line at a really good rate. Amari. So this is from TeamRankings.com. Pistons are fifth in fouls drawn at 23.1, only got 19.8 last season, which was 17th. This is before tonight's game. And then they're second in free throw attempts per 100 possessions at 29.6. Last year, they were only getting 22.2. Those are really impressive numbers to me, Omari. And in eight-game sample size, again tonight, they got to the free throw line quite a bit with they had 21 attempts. So not quite as much, but still 18 to 21 from the free throw line. Eight-game sample size, if this continues, this is a really nice development for this team, attacking the lane, putting pressure on the other team, drawing fouls, and making free throws. Uh, it's interesting because they lost uh, Jeremy Grant, who was one of the better players in the league at getting to the line. And, you know, but overall, I think as a team, they're getting to the line more than they were last year. Uh, Isaiah Stewart's averaging uh, six free throws a game. Uh, you know, Sadiq's averaging about four Ks, averaging about four Boyan's averaging about four. And Jaden Ivey's close to four. Uh, so it really is just a, a group effort here. Uh, we actually talked to Isaiah and Sadiq in the locker room after the Warriors game about it. And, 
Uh, they both kind of said it's just you know the NBA. You really have to learn how to sell that contact. <laughs> like Isaiah said, that he's been like there are things he does. Like he just knows he has to sell that contact a little bit more because he's a big guy, and uh, the refs are going to forgive a lot more contact against him just because of his play style. Uh, so you know they're picking up some veteran tricks. I think you know they're learning how the NBA works, how the referees call games. Uh, so there's probably just some natural progression there. Uh, but it really has been a group effort, and I think that's the thing that's most impressive about it. It's not one player kind of carrying the weight. Uh, you just have, you know, four or five players who are making a point to get to the free throw line a few times a game. Absolutely. And we'll continue to talk about that group of players and the extension that Troy Weaver gave Boyan Bogdanovich after this short break. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. All right, we're back and we're going to look ahead um, at a few things here. We're going to lead off with the uh, Boyan contract extension, uh, which is about $9.6 billion, uh, per year over the next two years. Uh, 19, but, 19.6. 19.6. Uh, but uh, partially guaranteed for $2 million in that second year. So really on paper, it is a one-year extension. If, if the Pistons want to keep them for two, they could keep them for two. But uh, to me, it's just really smart money. Uh, you know, when they uh, traded for him, you kind of heard murmurs of, you know, the Pistons being interested in keeping them around long-term. So it's not, and he's played so well that it's not a, a shock that the Pistons just saw the first, you know, five, six games and were like, all right, this is like this <laughs> now. Like, why even, why even let this linger? Like, he absolutely fits our culture. He's been great. Uh, let's just do it. And I think what's really great about it is not only just a partial guarantee uh, you know, for that 2024-25 season, but also the fact that they still have close to 50 million in cap space uh, next summer. Uh, they have way more cap space than they're going to even be able to use. You know, I think next summer. So to get Boyan locked in, uh, he's a part of your core now, and you still have plenty of money to play with. Is I think it's just a win for really all parties in, involved because Boyan's also absolutely going to live up to that deal. He's, he's on a 50-50-90 right now, Amari. 52% from the field, 50% from three, 94% from the... He's averaging 23 a game. Like, I don't care that he is bad. He's bad on defense, Amari. He's bad. I don't care <laughs> because he scores the ball, and it's not just shooting threes. He's getting to the rim. Like, he tries on defense. He's just... So my other thing is I don't think anything about his game right now is going to age poorly over the next 12 to 18 months. He's already bad defensively, so it's not like it's going to get that much worse. And everything he does offensively is sustainable based on his game. Like You don't have to be that fast when you shoot the way Boyan does because the closeouts are going to come so hard all you got to do, you don't have to have the Trey Lyles shot fake to go by people. Like you just got to give them a little head fake and you're going to create advantages. So I, I like the deal. It grew on me more and more. And then it was even better. Like it's a slam dunk with only 2 million guaranteed in the second year. Like, are you kidding me? They weren't going to be able to spend all that money in the offseason anyway. And when Andrew Wiggins re-signed with the Warriors, there's not a whole lot of names on that free agency list that I'm super enticed by anyway. So he was probably the best free agent you would have got. 
you know, you got him for essentially Saban Lee and why am I blanking on who else they traded? Kelly O'Linick. Kelly O'Linick. Goodness gracious. <laughs> it's, it is 11 o'clock at night out here in Kansas, but that's not a very good excuse. So, I mean, you got him for essentially nothing. He's been great. I think this was a great contract. Boyan must be happy in Detroit. And the other thing is, it's a great contract to trade if it still gets to that point. There really is no downside here for the Pistons, uh, you know, to get that last year partially guaranteed. Uh, it's good work, but even, you know, at the, the 19 and a half million, that still might be worthwhile to pick up. Because again, like you said, even if he's not quite a number two option, you know, when he's 35 going into, you know, uh, being 36 years old, uh, the shooting could, should still keep up. Uh, you know, the cap's due to go up a good bit over the next two years. So, you know, in a couple of years, maybe that's closer to $15 million rather than almost twenty. Uh, just a, a lot to like. Like, he's not going to sustain the start he's had so far. Like, I'll be shocked if he's shooting above 50%, you know, from the field effort three by the end of the year. But he has a big enough body of work to where you know he's going to be an above-average all-around scorer uh, for the remainder of this year. And he just absolutely fits what the Pistons are doing. He plucked so many holes on offense. Uh, this is just to be a no-brainer uh, for the Pistons and for him to, you know, lock in almost uh, potentially up to $40 billion, uh, you know, in the twilight of his career. I don't know why he's not a Los Angeles Laker. Like, why did the Lakers not trade for that man whenever they had the chance? Like, that's he's exactly what they need right now. And and I don't I don't mean to bring up the Lakers on this podcast because I get frustrated with the podcast I listen to always talking about the Lakers. But there is no reason he's not on the Los Angeles Lakers. And what a great move by Troy Weaver to bring him to Detroit. And he's been a, a great, great addition to the organization and the team. Yeah, collective brain fart uh, by all the contending teams in the NBA uh, to let Boyan go to the Pistons because the Pistons, they, they, you know, they gave up, uh, you know, Saban Lee, who was still a, a project, and then Kelly Olenek, who was a good player. But they he's playing so well right now for Utah. But I mean, like, like he's, he's a really good player. It's just, you know, for this team that had so much depth at center already, uh, I think it was just a, a, an awkward fit. So, uh, yeah, no brainer trade. Like, he's been arguably Detroit's best player uh, through the first eight games. Uh, yeah, it just blows my mind. Like, I'm watching Milwaukee tonight. Like, Milwaukee couldn't have together anything to go get him. Like, it's it blows my mind that the Pistons were able to get him for that. Like, he's been so good. Well, that's it's not like they added some first-round pick or, you know, something crazy. Like, it was Saban Lee and Kelly Olynyk, and that was it. And Kelly Olynyk off not a very good season, Omari. Like, and this isn't throwing shade at KO. I, I love the KO signing. I thought he was going to come back and have a good season this year, but... Boyan is a bucket, man. He is getting buckets, and there's a lot of contenders that could use that man right now. I don't care how bad he is defensively. Yeah, no, again, it's a it's a big head scratcher in every passing game. I'm just like I'm just looking at these contending teams that have obvious hoes, especially the Lakers. It's like like you were really that glued to like your draft picks who are like a freshman and like a seventh grader right now. Like it doesn't make any sense. LeBron's thirty eight or thirty. However old LeBron is, he started he's thirty nine. He's old, man. He's yeah. He's 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 old. So he needs to do everything you can to maximize your window now. So the Pistons are happy. Obviously, very happy. Yeah, uh, Trey Weaver put off a coup. I don't know how, but hey, he's clearly happy here. He's extended, and uh, it's a good deal for everybody involved. Absolutely. Let's talk about the rookies, Amari. And what have you thought now that we've got a little bit larger of a sample size watching them play? And what do you want to see from them moving forward? Because I have a couple things, not for each, but one thing for each that I, I think is important for their growth throughout the rest of the season. I don't know if we'll see it or not, but obviously they've had a really good start to their careers. What have you thought? What do you want to see moving forward from those two guys? Yeah, I think Ivy, uh, like as far as just the start to his rookie season, this is probably close to the best case scenario. Uh, he's getting downhill with ease, but I think it's not just how he gets downhill. 
but how he's able to really navigate traffic, I think, pretty well. And he just glides, so it's not... Sometimes you have to watch it again, and you're like, yeah, he really... Uh, like, once he gets going, he's at that speed, and he just does things so quickly that sometimes you take for granted that it's like, oh, he just squoves in between Giannis and Brick Lopez to get that layup. And the passing, too. Like, I think he's very aware of his gravity and how he can bend defenses, and uh, for him to already have a very strong awareness of that, you know, this early into his career, when just watching him at Purdue last season, it didn't always seem like he was aware of how his gravity could open up those passing opportunities. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think Ivy's first seven games have been pretty close to maybe the best-case scenario for him. Uh, he looks every bit as athletic as he looked in college. His first step is great. Uh, the way he navigates traffic is pretty good. You know, you still want to get, see him get that in-between game going because sometimes he kind of gets stuck and he's taking awkward shots, <laughs> you know, kind of in-between the free throw line and the rim. And he's got to be able to do something in there. He had some awkward shots tonight, I thought. That was just, he didn't know what to do. He kind of got stuck. Uh, but overall, he's he's going to be in the rookie of the year race, I think, if he keeps this up. Uh, this is, a, okay, I say that, but Paulo Bencaro's been playing like <laughs> Prime Carmelo, so I don't know. But, uh, you know, but he'll be in the discussion, I think. And then Jalen Duran again, like I think you expect him to be raw uh, as an 18-year-old, but uh, his rebounding numbers have been absolutely insane, especially considering they didn't rebound that well during summer league. And we were like, is that going to be an issue for him? And I know. it's like, no, he is <laughs> uh, like per minute. Like he's like the best rebounder on the team by a pretty wide margin. Now, Isaiah Suarez rebounded the ball extremely well, but uh, Duran's been great. Uh, just how physically imposing he is, just his catch radius on lobs, rebounds. He is just an absolute freak of, a, of an athlete. And I think his, his timeline is probably longer than Ivy's, but at the same time, you think about him at 22, and he just might be a beast at 22, which I think for the Pistons is very exciting as well. I've been super impressed with Jaden Ivey's nuance in the ball screen, Omari. Like, just snaking screens, putting defenders in jail, changing pace, like, just being patient. I did not see that coming. There, I, I was all in on the passing. I've raved about it. I've talked about it. I, I, you know, I tweeted about it. But he's been way better changing pace in the half court than what I thought. That's been really impressive for someone so early in his career. And we continue to see it. The mid-range has to come. And, and I don't know that we're going to see it. There was multiple examples tonight, um, especially with the the scheme that the Bucks play. We'll see it again on Wednesday night with the Bucks, where he, he's got to get the floater game, you know, that in between. He's, it's got to come around. I don't know if he gets it in his rookie season. It'll be a longer-term development. And he had been shooting the three-point ball pretty well. I think he struggled um, tonight, but overall really good. Jalen Duran, I'm with you. I think the, some of the more nuanced things, the screen and roll those type of things, you know, defensive drop coverage being in the right spot. But those guys, the influx of athleticism that we talked about, that we felt like Troy Weaver had drafted on draft night, it sure shows itself every night when those two are on the floor. Yeah, I think so. And just the athleticism that they give to see, like we talk about it a lot, but the Pistons are just, just so noticeably more athletic than they were last year, uh, you know, largely because of those two rookies. And they both, I think they both played with a little bit more poise than I think you probably expect, you know, for two players that early into their career. Yeah, Ivy especially, you know, I think you still see a lot of rookie bubbles from him. But just the way he kind of reads the floor, I think his footwork's a little bit better than expected. And then you also just see so much more room for improvement. Like his handle could definitely be tightened up a lot. Like as he starts to do those things, if he gets any semblance of a floater, get that handle a little bit tighter. He can just be an absolute monster. Like, he's one of those guys where it's like, I really don't know how he's going to be defended because his first step alone just makes him 
And this is a matchup for basically anybody you put in front of her. So I think as I've gotten more into the draft content stuff and breaking players down, you realize how important context is. And both of these guys were in constructs that made it tough for them to really shine Purdue with the two bigs it was talked a lot about but the lane wasn't always open for Jaden Ivey and so some of his decision maybe looked questionable because the floor wasn't space and then Jalen Duran was playing with essentially no point guard at Memphis and so he wasn't able to show the ball screen and roll and all those things and so I think it's important you know to really pay attention to that and it, it is hard but to know that there's a lot of context with these guys in the college schemes and on the floor and the coaching style and all those things that those guys are in yes yeah, definitely one of those situations where you just have to trust that some players are going to look a lot better in, in the nba uh, than they looked in college we've been saying that with paulo now like you help me but yeah like ivy he didn't have a lot of shooters at purdue uh, the lane was cramped because they you know they their offense revolved around too big so uh, some stuff for the NBA is just easier for him. He has, you know, wider lanes, he has shooters to kick out to. Just his style of play, you know, I think just looks a lot better in the NBA. And just some stuff is just going to come easy for him. Uh, like the passing, I just think he's not doing anything like super, super unique or special. Although he has had some really, you know, I think creative passes. Like he had the over the shoulder one against the, the Wizards last week. But just drive and kick, you know, like you have got like op- open shooters, find open shooters. You know, if you if you drive and you have Isaiah Stewart cutting, you can hit him for a dunk because you had two defenders, uh, you know, kind of commit to you on that drive. Like he understands that he has gravity when he drives and uh, that when he bends the defense, his teammates are going to be open. So just very, you know, simple stuff. But that was not something we always saw at Purdue. We've seen that a lot just in the first two weeks. So I think his ceiling as a passer is probably a lot higher than even a lot of scouts, a lot of draft analysts may have guessed uh, three months from now. And then Duran, yeah, I mean, he had he went from not playing with any point guards to playing with with four. So that you know, and you know, so they're all NBA level passers. So I think that that helps him a lot. You know, for very obvious reasons. You know, there was just stuff last year that didn't come easy for him because his game on offense obviously revolves around the ability for a series to create for him. So, yeah, both of those, I think that just kind of speaks to the power of, you know, just having a smart front office, smart talent scouts, people who understand the difference between college and the NBA and just trusting that talented players will figure it out. I got to ask you about killing Hayes Omari before we shut down the episode, because I, I, don't, I don't know what to think right now. The shooting hasn't been good. The defense is always good. He has some games where he throws some nice passes. I'm starting to get a little worried because gone are the excuses of it's only year two. He hasn't like he's played over a hundred games or close to a hundred games. Now I'm not saying it's like over for him as an NBA player at all, but I'm starting to wonder if this is going to work in Detroit. Like it's getting close to like, man, this may be a guy that needs a change of scenery and the way that Marvin Bagley, the third needed a change of scenery. I'm not all the way there yet, but I'm starting to get there a little bit. There's been games where he's been visually frustrated. I don't remember what game it was this week where Corey Joseph got to finish the game instead of him. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I, I'm a little bit nervous with how this is going to end up. No, I mean, you know, I can't really, it's tough to predict the future, but yeah, obviously he, you know, he's just not been, been able to put the ball in the hole at all. And that's a, a, a problem. You know, we talk about the second unit, you know, not really having enough scoring. But, you know, I'm just looking at Killian's averages now. You know, he's shooting 17% overall, uh, 13.3% from three. Like, that's, you know, I don't need to say that that's not good. We talk about it a lot. You have to be able to bring something. He has to get to the line. He has to be able to get to the rim. Finish at the rim. He's beginning there. He just hasn't been finishing. 
uh, knocked down open threes, something. And he hasn't really shown any of those things yet. You know, and I think it's, you know, tough, you know, when essentially, you know, whenever he takes a shot, like that's the defense is like, okay, like we, you know, we did our job, <laughs> right? You know, and that's like, that sounds harsh, but he's got to hit more shots. Like you're just not going to cut it shooting that poorly. You know, it's eight games. He still has a lot of season to kind of get his legs under him. But, uh, you know, it's been a recurring issue throughout his career. And, you know, he's also, I think, taking a little bit of a step back from preseason. He kind of had that lefty hook he was going to that looked good. And yes. I, don't think we've, I don't think we've seen that once in a regular season. You know, maybe it's confidence. You know, I don't know what it is exactly. But, you know, you have Cade Cunningham, you have Ivy now. So he isn't in the spotlight like he was previously. So you would hope that that would help him, you know, maybe just a, a, attack and do the things that he needs to do without having the pressure of having to carry the franchise he felt maybe two seasons ago. I literally wrote confidence down on my my notepad as we were talking or as I was listening to you talk about, like he had it in the preseason. It was there. I was so excited about what we had seen. And it, it was two games into the season and it was gone now. And, you know, if it comes back, then I'll completely, you know, I'll, you know, I'll keep the right to change my mind. But I just wonder if he's going to be able to find the consistent confidence and comfortability playing with this team and this organization because through almost 100 games now, I don't feel like we've seen it. So we, we don't need to harp on it. I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it because I am starting to get a little nervous. It is only eight games. There's a lot of season left. I don't think he's getting traded like at the deadline or something like that. But at some point, we have to see some positivity. We have to see that confidence come back. Our Pistons will play three more games before the next recording. We will record next Monday night after the Thunder game, but they have the Bucks on Wednesday, Cavs on Friday, the Thunder on Monday. Omari, you were right about the record whenever we predicted last episode. You've predicted one win. I predicted two. Neither of us were right about what win that would be, but we got those three games coming up. What's your prediction for this week? Yeah, I think they are going. So we have Wednesday at the Bucks, Friday at the Cavs, Monday at the Lakers. Thunder, Who, you Thunder. Know? At the Thunder, at the Thunder. Uh, I think they're going to go, probably wants to say two and one. Ooh. You're going to say two and one or you're waiting for me? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say two and one. I'm okay. going to say two and one. I think I've seen enough from these last two games that, uh, you know, they, they, they should beat the, the Thunder. And, I, you know, of course I say that and I don't have any wood to knock on and they're probably going to lose by 30. Uh, but I'm going to go two one. I'm going to go two one. I'm going to inject a little positivity uh, in the podcast to close this out. All right, I'm going to go one and two just to change it back negative. I, I got one thing. I got We got to bring the food stuff back, Amari. So Javier Rodriguez, DM me. I got to get your thoughts on this real quick. This is a turkey, ham, Colby cheese, mustard, Dijon mustard, pickle, jalapeno chips, jalapenos, hot sauce, and toasted bread sandwich. Your thoughts. Yeah, I can get behind it. For no, sure. you cannot. Shut yes, I can. You yes, are I can. lying. Yes, I can. You don't even know what I just said. Look at this. Look at this. I know we, we actually see each other's video. I know we're not on YouTube yet, guys. So I'm showing Omari the sandwich. I don't even know if he can see it. I think there's a glare. No. A little bit of a glare. Just on paper, it sounds fine. Like, I will no, say. No, it doesn't. Like, when he says toasted bread, I hope he doesn't mean, like, actual toast. Because I think actual toast is just a little bit too crispy for bread. Like, you need some softness. It looks toasted. But, it looks toasted in the picture. He sent me a picture of it. He said, okay. he, he pretty much said, I didn't have the uh, gumption to try it. And I said, Javier, you are exactly right. I do not have the gumption to try it. All right. I, uh, I mean, that sounds, that sounds like a reasonable sandwich. You have, yeah, you have turkey, you have ham. Uh, you have mustard, you have cheese, chips, hot sauce, toasted bread. I would say that's probably not a sandwich. I would make. I don't know if I would do hot sauce and jalapenos. I think jalapenos have a little bit too much of a 
like pickled flavor for them to work. Well, I guess it depends on if you're doing like pickled jalapenos or like fresh jalapenos. But either way, I'm not crazy about jalapenos or sandwiches. It's more so for me like pizza or whatnot. But I can get behind it. Like I, I think that's fine. I think that is a fundamentally sound sandwich. I give it a, I give it a solid seven point five out of ten. Like I think that is a very solid sandwich. It is the, uh, it's the Jared Goff of sandwiches. Like it gets the job done. That is the. I don't know who a bad quarterback is, but <laughs> that that sandwich throws four interceptions in the first half. That's what that sandwich does. So whoever that quarterback in the NFL is, that's who that sandwich is. It no. So what was soft for you? Like what which part of the sandwich do you not agree with? Uh all of it. Even like the cheese and the turkey and the ham? I mean there's so many things. And he has chips on it. Yeah. Why do you put hot sauce on a sandwich? South sauce is good. Tell right, everybody bro. tell everybody thank you, and we'll see All you guys right, next week. Right, it was such yeah. a good episode, and this ruined my whole vibe. I, I thought that was what we were going to agree on. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you did not think we were going to agree on that one. Fine to me. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll roast you on Twitter tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, shout out to our editor, uh, Kirkland Crawford. Um, our executive producer, Internet Delgado, and our uh, audio producer, uh, Kerry Jr. the second. And shout out Robin Chan tonight. He's he's filling in tonight to to hold it down. Yes, yes, we have a new guy, Robin, uh, who's filling in tonight and stayed up late to uh, allow us to record this episode after the game. So thank you, Robin. Uh, shout out to you as well, and shout out to Wes. Shout out to Wes. We got to figure out another Wes episode soon. Uh, we'll talk to you all soon.